Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. And uh, today's guest is a man that I have um, a great deal of admiration for. His name is Alex Dyson. Uh, some of you will know him from Matt and Alex. Some of you will know him from Tom and Alex, uh, the breakfast shows on Triple J. I often think uh, one of the best times, and we talk about this a little bit in the podcast, although um, I reckon Alex is definitely one of these people that I want to get back uh, for another podcast because he's running for parliament at the moment, which is the main reason um, that I got him on the podcast to talk all about that. And uh, about the first hour of this is about why he's running uh, for politics and, you know, what he thinks about current politics. And it was a fascinating conversation, but it meant that, you know, we didn't get as much time to explore his radio past and some of those things as I would have liked to because doing the Triple J Breakfast Show was probably the best time that I've ever had in my life. It's a great gift to be given the opportunity to do that show. But one of the reasons that people regard that show uh, with such fondness is because the legacy of that show, each of the performers who have done that show over the generations have made it their own and have been part of the rich story that is that show. And and every time there is a new show in there, I, I, I listen into it and I'm always so proud that they choose such great people to, to do that show. And I absolutely adored the show that uh, Tom uh, Ballard, of course, who's been a previous guest on this podcast and Alex did together. And then the show that Alex and Matt O'Kine did together. And uh, I don't think that uh, Matt will mind me saying this, but uh, Matt rang me for advice when he'd been offered the job. And, and one of the things that I said to him was, uh, you know, that I just think that that job is one of the great jobs of all time. And um, uh, I think Alex did an amazing job uh, on Triple J. And uh, speaking to him today, being able to actually, you know, uh, make some entertainment with him, have this interview with him, you know, muck around with him and have a laugh with him was a, an absolute pleasure. So Alex Dyson is his name. If you don't know him, he's running for politics. If you're in the Warrnambool area, uh, he could be your local member of uh, parliament. You could send him to Canberra. And it's it's not a joke. Uh, last week on the podcast, if you've heard that one, Michael Hing is also running for the Senate. Now, by the way, if Michael Hing gets into the Senate, he's going to do a good job, but he's also doing it as a, yeah, it's fun. It's a bit of comedy as well. I don't think he, he said that when we did the podcast. I don't think I'm speaking out of school, but Alex is very serious about it and he's very passionate about politics and he's very passionate about Australia and the way Australia should be run and could be run and the opportunities we have as a country. So we get to explore that during this interview. Anyway, I'm going to stop banging on because we've got to record another interview in a minute with a uh, one of the most requested guests uh, that we've ever had uh, on this podcast. So that's going to be exciting. So I'm going to shut up. But uh, if you would like to support this podcast, you can by retweeting, Instagramming, sharing uh, any information that you uh, we put out there about the podcast. If you like an episode, please tweet about it or post about it because then I can sort of retweet it or, you know, it makes it a little bit easier for me rather than me just always telling people to listen in. If you could tell them to do that, that's very helpful. And if you uh, are inspired by Alex's story today, please do whatever you can uh, to support him and get behind him or get behind people like him who are trying to make a difference in this country. Um, normally I do a plug up the top. Uh, by the time you hear this, I'm coming to Newcastle uh, in June. I think it's June the 16th. I'll be in Newcastle doing my Will Eagle show. Um, at the time of recording this, uh, which is about a week before you'll hear it, um, it's almost sold out already. So I don't know by the time you hear this whether there'll be tickets available, but if there are and you're in the Newcastle area, please come along and see We Legal. You can find all the details at uh, comedy.com.au. Anyway, in the meantime, just enjoy this episode with Alex. 
Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. I've just spilt fizzy water all over myself, which has given my guest today no confidence in my capacity to host the podcast. And I've spilled it all over the equipment. I think everything's going to be fine. Hey, um, this is how the podcast starts. Uh, guest, who are you? My name is Alex Dyson. Alex Bloody Dyson. <laughs> Much like Kevin Bloody Wilson. Uh, A little bit. Yeah, you know, he is my father and I inherited his middle name. Middle name. the last name. That's what it's like yeah. in the Bloody family. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Now, can I... Uh, ask you this, my friend, because, uh, uh, well, uh, look, here's the thing. I'm going to start today. Sometimes I have a bit of a general chat with people and then we get to the philosophy, but I'm going to dive in the deep end today. Well, we don't get the good, you know, ban- talk about the fizzy drink. Just, you just had to wipe up with your own hoodie. Okay. Do you want a banter? Do you no, want a little banter go. first? Let's we not can waste have time. some preliminary like... banter if you'd like. No, I, I, I enjoy this. You've given the audience the idea that I have wiped it up with my own hoodie. You went to try to find some paper towel and I said, don't worry about it. This hoodie is absorbent. Uh, if anybody, we're in the uh, offices of my day job. It's a commercial radio station and mm. technically we, 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 we're not really... Meant to record here, but we do regardless. We well, can get away with it. I worked at ABC, yeah. as did you many times, and they they wouldn't let you do that because it's the taxpayer funding the microphones rather exactly. than um, where this is Eddie. dirty commercial <laughs> lucre funding these microphones. So I just short. Sure. We just old Frank Walker from National Tiles exactly. is uh, paying Thank through the nose Frank. for these microphones. <laughs> Thank you, to the good people down at uh, the speaking pub, through the nose as the well. puppet crown. <laughs> <laughs> really appreciate having you guys on board and Chemist Warehouse. Neither of whom are sponsors of uh, this particular podcast, but are sponsors of the radio station in which we're doing this podcast. So I guess incidentally, that is the case. Now. Um, I wear this same hoodie to work every day. I have a bit of a work uniform and uh, it does mean that if we have a run of um, big high profile guests where they get a photo of us all in the studio, yeah. um, I've started to notice that it's clear <laughs> that I'm wearing the same clothes to work every day. So well, The benefit of that is, and I've faced this a couple of times on radio, is sometimes interviews have to be pre-recorded for the sheer nature of the massive guests on tight schedules. There's the only time they can come in. They don't feel like coming in at 6.30 in the morning and so you do it after the show. And so you'll do that, but then you'll put up footage later and there'll be two different guests on the show and you'll be wearing two different outfits. It's like, <laughs> hang on, is Alex Dyson doing a, a costume change <laughs> mid-shift? Exactly. Does it get that hot and sweaty in the, uh, in the studios there? Uh, what I was going to say is I want to start with your philosophy because I want to talk to you about a whole range of things today, but, uh, I reckon let's start by asking, do you have a philosophy and then we can have those conversations. I don't have a philosophy in that I haven't thought enough about a philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a number of your guests come in and go, your podcast is the, the thing that made them try and think about, well, what is it? What is this thing that I'm, I'm living? I'm going forward. I do have some sort of ethics and morals and, you know, things that work for me, but I haven't labeled it yet. Um, so having a think about that, I think the one that keeps cropping up is, is the Gandhi, Mahatma, Mohandas, the be the change you want to see in the world. Um, which I think works in so much that I, I don't really like telling people what to do. Um, but I think, yeah, cause you always, it's counterproductive, I guess, the political, you know, things at the moments. Um, <laughs> if you tell someone that they're deplorable or if you tell someone that they're a, a libtard, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's becomes a little bit separate. But if you, yeah, if something works for you, other people should, should see, oh, that, that, person is going pretty well with themselves. They seem comfortable. They seem confident. They, their life's going all right. Um, what do they do? <laughs> they're, I, they're living the change. That I, lo- I they love think the this, world by the be way. I, I Has someone done this? Because it's quite a, you know. I'd... Well, when I had Gandhi on the podcast, he did it, obviously. <laughs> but... <laughs> 
one of our early, early ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of our test shows he came in for back in the day. For sure. Uh, the problem was at the time we just didn't have the technology to get it out to the people. I know. It was a great and yet episode. He, he had more listeners than you do currently. <laughs> so, so where's you know where does that sit? Um, I I will say this that it is something that I think about a lot because we do live in a world where, and part of the idea of this podcast for me was to have conversations with people without saying, hey, this is right and this yeah. is wrong. And and to kind of show people that there are all these people who perhaps even, you know, everyone who's been on this podcast in some way has a connection to me. Yeah. And yet they all have different ways of viewing their life or, you know, how they, you know, negotiate what it is to be alive. And that was, I guess, the point of it. And so in some ways it's a bit of a mission statement for the podcast itself it was that idea of, well, if you want to see a more nuanced discussion mm. about how people see life, then why don't you just start having some nuanced discussions with people about how they see life? So in some ways, you've identified also the mission statement for this podcast in a way. <laughs> yeah. so, so I like it because it appeals to you know my own personal vanity. So good, good one. <laughs> well done, Alex. Not a problem. I have to oblige, Will. Really appreciate it. <laughs> so let's let's start with what you're doing now. Yep. Uh, and then we'll, you know, do a bit of a, you know, wander back through history. But what you're doing right now is obviously uh, particularly fascinating and I think probably speaks directly to what you've just told me about yeah. being the change that you want to see. A good coincidence. I've decided to um, withdraw $2,000 from an ATM. I ran around my hometown of Warrnambool and got 100 signatures, so some of which were people I knew, some of which I didn't know, and uh, handed it into the Australian Electoral Commission and put myself down as an independent candidate for the House of Representatives for Wannan, the Southwest Victorian electorate. Um, and yeah, should I get enough of the primary vote, <laughs> I'll be having to head to the suit shop and head along to Canberra and um, yeah. Hang out with a cool, a few legends there. So we've had Michael Hing on this podcast and Michael Great. Hing is running for the Senate in New South Wales. I spoke to him on the phone from my bed in Warrnambool and asked him what he was doing. But he's running as a joke. Like he yep. came, he came on this podcast <laughs> yep. and he said, you know, like, I mean, he literally said, this is a joke. Mm. And now is there an opportunity for him to make some broader points about the political system and how it operates? Yes. And I think that he's going to. Yeah. And I think he might not have really fully thought this through yet because I think sure. there's a chance he may get elected to parliament. Yeah, but, well, but I think, you know, he's getting some good publicity. Around. What's the difference between what he's doing and what you're doing? Um, if, my, if Michael is running as a joke, I would say that I am running as a calculated risk because <laughs> I, I, I'm fully aware that, you know, you know, should things go my way, you know, people are totally outraged. Stranger things have happened, you know, bigger roughies have come through and, um, had a victory, but so I'm, I'm prepared to then front up and go, great. It looks like people were ready to have a different conversation around politics currently. Um, having said that, a, a couple of the legends in Canberra, a few of them aren't, aren't so legendary. And so I think who in their right mind would want to, if you were a normal person, if I met a normal person on the street, hey, I really like that person. This, this person seems really cool. You could almost bet that they weren't a politician uh, because it, it seems it's quite, given the current climate, a, yeah, it, I'm not sure why people would, would do it. When, okay. When, so, when it's so, you know, when it's the swamp, it's the swamp. So I think <laughs> that's a really interesting point of view. And mm. I think that you're right, by the way, but mm. I, I tend to completely distrust almost all politicians, mm. you know, and, and of every 
um, sort of variety. Doesn't matter which. <laughs> yep. Doesn't matter which yep. party they belong to. I have a natural distrust of anybody who's like put up their hand and going, "I want to, yeah, be in politics." What, what do they it used to, to say? Their motivation. It's, like, it's yeah. why show why business are they doing for it? ugly people. They yeah. used to say. <laughs> that was the line about politics. Excellent. Well, but, luckily, yeah, radio is television for ugly people as well. So well, um, I've already well, got the ugly sorted, and we're. Uh, <laughs> but you've obviously box. you're doing this for a reason. Yeah. And is the reason that you do have a genuine frustration with the way the political system is run and the actual machinations of it itself. Definitely. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm interested in politics because, you know, politics helps see how, where we're going as a country, as a, as a world, you know, we've got to get things done. We've got to group together. It's, it's a, it's a countrywide group assignment. And there's people who take the lead. And I guess the same people who take the lead in group assignments can be a bit annoying. Like there are some people who are annoying and do really well and get it all done and say, yeah, you could contribute. What do you think? But there's people who don't listen to you, do their own project, you know, and then just try and sell you things that they've done. So yeah, there's a definite frustration there. Um, The, you know, it's, what are those things from that? What the problem's so big? What can I do? It's yeah. I would. I think I would have regretted not running for it from having a crack because yeah. When I you know my hypothetical children and grandchildren go, what was were you alive when he was had that coal in Parliament? He was just waving it around. What were you guys doing? Um, uh, and think, I'm like, I think oh. you'll find that I was being snide on the sidelines. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was a brand ambassador on yeah. Instagram for some <laughs> great products, which you could get. Just by clicking the link in my bio. Um, you know. I don't think you understand, guys. I was making a very important podcast. Yeah, <laughs> things exactly, to do. Exactly, changing the hearts and minds. But um, well, so but that's a okay. So be the change. This goes yep. very much to be the change because yep. it is very easy to be someone like me who sits on the sideline and says they're all fucked and you know like push them all out into the ocean and they're ruining this country and yep. and you know and to like I am so disappointed by. I do believe you know being born an Australian is one of, well, there's obviously, again, this is a complicated thing and there should be no blanket statements because Mm. some people who are born Australians are born into a systematic poverty. Some people who are born Mm. into Australians, but, and, and that's one of the issues, you know, in our society isn't being addressed that not every Australian has the same equal opportunity when they're born. But I do believe in general compared to the rest of the world, being born an Australian should give you the best possible chance to have a good life. And when we let down those who are less fortunate in our society, I think we have no excuse. Mm. There are some places in the world where genuinely there is an excuse. They don't have enough to go around, but we have plenty. We have plenty for everyone. We have space. We have the opportunity to be educated, to have a health system. We're a wealthy country. We have, you know, yeah, reasonable conditions. I mean, climate change is going to fuck with that a little, but like, you know, there's a lot of opportunities or there at least, should be a lot of opportunities if you are born an Australian. And it feels to me that we have gone from being a country that felt extremely lucky to be mm. Australian to a country that has become entitled to the idea that we're Australian and that other people are going to come in. And we've become yeah. a bit more mean-spirited. Is that something I'd say, that you I'd, feel? I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that in, in so much as like the conversation, people aren't taking a breath and realizing, oh, actually, we do have it relatively good here, you know, compared to various other countries in the world. Um, there are definitely issues, and there are heaps of them that need to be addressed. The problems are far and wide ranging from, you know, economic issues to environmental, education, health, you know, you name it, disability, um, the, 
all of those sort of things, which yeah, we need to look into. But um, I think currently that is separate from the popularity contest that is also taking place at the time. And I'm sure, like, I, I really know that the vast majority of people are well-meaning in their in, in things, but it's the, the end justifies the means to a lot of people. If I say that this minister wants to take a sledgehammer to jobs, it's like, he's not launching a war on jobs. You both want jobs, and we know you both want jobs. Who's going to do it better? Which which person's platform is going to achieve the jobs better? Not this person hates jobs or this person hates retirees or this person, you know, is waging, you know, a campaign, a Viking campaign against you start or whatever. Um, so yeah, having a bit more of a, an open conversation and a less um, rehearsed conversation and, you know, dot points and, you know, hand gestures to be more relatable. And there's conversations where, yeah, people just, they don't answer the questions and don't put their hand up when, well, when they've done a bad thing or when the opposition has done a good thing. It's it's very rare that um, you see those things. And so then you think, well, we're in the same country, but we're on different teams suddenly. We're not, I don't think. Well, certainly we shouldn't be, right? No, yeah. If, exactly, your, yeah. if your capacity is to, like, if you are a person who believes, and I, perhaps my personal politics aren't of the middle. I, mm. I'm, I'm willing to accept that. Mm. But I, I'm also willing to accept the idea that society works best mostly when you have two opposing parties who are trying to mostly deal with the middle sure. without forgetting about, you know, the people who feel disenfranchised or whatever on the extremes. But so if they are, if, yep. you know, your Liberal Party and your Labor Party, for example, in Australia, are both essentially trying to compete for half of the voters. Yeah. You can't tell me that like one of them's black and one of them's white, that one of them's yes and one of them's no. Mm. And I completely agree with you when you say, I just, I I love it more if both of the leaders were like, well, we both believe in the importance of everybody getting good health care. Yeah. Here's our idea on how we think that is best delivered. And here's, but we can both agree Mm. that, you know. Everyone should be able to go as affordably as possible, be able to get fixed up if they, you know, fall and hit their head or whatever it is. And I think Um, that happens, that is particularly shown when it comes to our border policy. You know, because, well, yeah, that's... because a long time ago, there used to be a sort of tacit agreement between the two parties that, you know, it, it is important to control your borders in some way, but it's also mm. important to be, you know, kind of welcoming for those who are in need Yeah, and that it is a difficult dilemma. There is no perfect solution to it. Mm. Uh, no one has a perfect solution. Anybody who tells you that they have a perfect solution is absolutely lying to you. Yep. And so what they would both do is go... Well, we agree that this is a messy area, so we won't use it for political points. We'll just go, this is our idea and this yeah. is what we do. And this is, but we'll both agree that no one's got it right. There is no way that fixes this. Yeah. We'll, and to just, yeah, to, to then scare the public in the process of telling those people those ideas. It's like, look, there's a lot of refugees. You know, I, I'm, I'm really for the, I'm for the upstream solutions to problems I really want. If you have, you know, a lot of rubbish in the water, you could spend a whole lot of money picking it out when it hits the ocean, or you could walk upstream and stop the people dumping it in the water in the first place. And when it comes to, and it can almost be done across the board. Like when people, we want to be the government that is tough on crime. 
We are trying to attack people. More police will be on the streets keeping you safe and that sort of thing. When one of the, I am listening to Radio National one time and one of the things was like, yeah, well, at one point um, a government brought in uh, a policy that was helping out single parents, you know, with parenting classes. And uh, 18 years later, there was a remarkable drop in the crime rates from that side of thing. But you're not going to win an election for people who are like, oh, I just had my house broken into. It's the third time this week. Parenting classes aren't going to help me right yeah. now. We're putting, you know? it, we're putting it in an 18-year plan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, my garage door's still broken, mate. So. <laughs> Indeed. But I know what you mean because there seems to be a short-sightedness hmm. that um, when it comes to those situations because, for example, every generation of new immigrants tends to have a problem with assimilation which yeah. can often lead to crime and disenfranchisement. But we know that because it's happened to every single generation. Well, do we, Will? Because I remember Pauline Hanson getting up and standing in the Senate and saying we're going to be swamped by Muslims. I'm like, hang on, Pauline. You said we'd be swamped by Asians yep. back in the 90s, okay? Now, there's a couple of things wrong with that. Either we weren't and you were wrong. Or we were, and it wasn't a problem. You yeah. know, there was lots of integration, and they've made a fantastic contribution to Australian mm. society. But she just, she acted like it didn't happen, and like there was a new problem that she hadn't already been disproved. I, it's, that is the perfect example, though, isn't it? Because <laughs> you know? she was the one who actually yeah. said, here's my policy. We're going to be swamped by Asians. Yeah. And then 20 years later, it's like, oh, no, Muslims now. We're going to be yeah. swamped by Muslims. And 20 years from now, it would have been like, no, we're going to be swamped by... Bengalese. <laughs> well, or people from the uh, the islands around Australia because, the because as Peter Dutton says, water's lapping at the door, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. I mean, I, I do have a secret theory that the Asians started blaming the Muslims, but just to get the heat <laughs> off their back. But... <laughs> a little bit of uh, buck passing, you're, you're thinking, yeah. You point now, at your friend just to the side of you. It, I mean, okay. So let's start with, what do you think the problems are with the system itself first rather before we get to what policies that you are particularly passionate about or will oh as in the uh oh okay problems with the system what do you say personally i mean i'm not looking for necessarily solutions yeah what do you identify as being why the system isn't working well i am a humble radio host from victoria and i do not know what the actual problems are in the system of our government. I mean, whenever you see articles about other countries and, you know, the American election, whoever won, Hillary won the popular vote but lost the election because of electoral college and gerrymandering and those sort of things. And you've got other places where there's non-preferential voting as well and that sort of thing. So in Australia, the system is is pretty as good as you can get it. You know, the democracy, the worst form, except for all the others, as Winston, I think it was, said that one. But Winston from Winston Blinds, of course. Exactly. Yeah. yeah big shout out to Winston. Talking about Winston there. with a Y. Triple <laughs> 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 oh, It sounded like you hit the button, but that was that was live stuff. I didn't realize you do that live every morning. It's really good, Will. Um, but but um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, I think it's the discourse, yeah, rather than the system uh, that's the problem. The, the people, the people's. The way that they've been done, and it's, it can be the people themselves. You can have people who are quite egotistical. They want to win. They want to be the best. They want the prestige, you know, of being a politician. They like the power, be able to make decisions, um, which is then fueled by a, a, an absolute fear that they will lose that at the next election, you know. And when the media starts doing the sound bites, when things start working, the polls start coming out every week, that sort of thing. 
it's immediate trying to correct the ship, you know, trying to write it wherever you can, you know, in radio, even ratings could be the same if we're going to chat, chat shop here, which is like, oh, there was a dip. I mean, it's, it's within the margin of error, but right. let's, what's the problem? Let's like, overanalyze it. Like on Triple J, <laughs> we're a national program. And so there was not a single ratings yeah. where, where, where we went, consistent rise or fall. where we went up everywhere or we went down everywhere. But every time you'd come in and you go, oh, Sydney, what a great result, boys. Yeah. Really good stuff in the morning. He's doing great. Melbourne was down. All right. We got to talk more footy. Yeah. Get people in. Get them in. Get someone on the line. Talking footy is like, oh, Melbourne's got up. But Perth is like, oh, man, yeah, we got to remember to, when we're doing talk back in Perth, yeah. call the number. We need those. And it's like, nah. They just ran into someone in the street who was different that day. You know, if you, if you, Take if you put the blinkers on even and try and ignore the noise, it's so difficult because oh, I used to be so jealous of you and Adam in the mornings who had a phone line into the studio <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you'd go home and then when we started a Facebook and then you've got the Snapchat, you know, the show Snapchat and the Instagram and that sort of there's so many ways to people for people to tell you to shut up and play music or like this is the wrong with the show or stop that sort of segment rather than being happy with it yourself. You know, you you know that you're on the right track with how things are going and you can feel it and feel the stuff. So, um, okay. So politics, it's, it's a similar thing where it's just so like the constant measurement and feedback, because I, I do have a theory that, you know, the constant polling that we're doing in particular is really destructive to, you know, mm. how politics is meant to operate because people test things so that they poll well, they very much, when a news poll comes out on Monday morning, suddenly yeah. everybody's a secret armchair quarterback and they're yeah. going, it's because of this thing yeah. or it's because of this thing. When no one really knows mm. whether it's and about those things the last resort is always, well, we better change the prime minister. That'll yep. fix it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, it's all falling into place. It's like a few of the radio shows. What we need to do, mm. what we need to do here is add Kevin Bloody Wilson. Yep. Fin- finally, the, the, the synergy is right. We've got Kevin's going to sing the songs live. Yeah. Exactly. Triple M. So tell me this. Um, okay. So the discourse around uh, the politics, I think that you're, that's a good, accurate way of looking at it. It seems mm. very sensible to me. So then when you decide to do something like this, you immediately are then dipping your toe into those waters. You yes. are going to have to choose how you conduct yourself in that discourse. Yeah. You're going to have to choose how much of it you you decide to you know, believe or not believe. Yeah. And that's scary what I've found. Like even the first one, I didn't know. So I got my forms in on Tuesday after Easter. They pulled the balls of the ballots out of the thing for the nominees on Wednesday. Can you tell day. me, and so, can you take me back even a little bit further than that? Can you take me back to when oh, you, you decided? Oh, you mean the, the Whalers Hotel the um, the night before where I got my first signatures while DJing and these <laughs> just little <laughs> munted kids didn't know what they were signing. <laughs> but like, oh, you're running? Yeah, I don't know anyone. Sure. Yeah, no. You're the DJ. This Great. is a petition to get Billy Eilish to come and play. Into our... Eilish. Uh, but, uh, there yeah. you go. Luck of the Eilish. <laughs> But um, I've only so that name all, written down. <laughs> back to where I decided to actually do it. Well, it was like a last minute thing. It's like I will, I will do the next step, which is I will like I've been thinking about. It. I'll go on the AEC website. I'll read the forms. I've got some time. Let's have a look. It's like oh, okay, I've got to do those things. Well, I'm not sure if I'll do it yet, but I'll print off the forms 
and try and get some signatures where I can or like, and I'll talk to my family in the meantime or whatever while we're doing that. So, but then you can go back to other, like just little things that really annoy you, which is, you know, the seventh spill that we've had or whatever it is. There's like, oh man, there's, there's got to be a better way sort of thing. Or my, the person, um, the, who's the current minister, member uh, for one and the minister for education, Dan Tian, when he, after the spill rocked up on, um, 7.30 with Lee Sales and she hit him with the question of, oh, so we've just got another new prime minister. Why did you decide to do that? Which is a reasonably valid question from Lee. And he said, uh, dad said, well, first of all, Lee, I would like to um, uh, congratulate Malcolm Turnbull for an excellent service to the country, the achievements of the government, and also Julie Bishop, the foreign minister, who worked with such dignity in the theatre. And Lee's like, well, okay, good, but why? He's like, well, because that's the decision we decided to make. Yeah, but but what? Why it was there was just it's and it's not necessarily Dan's fault because he's he doesn't want to let down the party by saying because we're in chaos, <laughs> you know, a bit more of an honest answer. So he has to do the best that he can, which minimizes the damage around, and then say that they're going to do well for the economy and Labor's got a war on jobs and you know <laughs> we're on for we're a united team again after it only took twelve hours. We got a new leader and now we're united. So when you look at his performance in a place like that, and like I would argue that perhaps it is a little bit more damaging when the education minister refuses to answer <laughs> questions. But anyway, that's just a, yeah. an irony that I see a little bit. Yeah. So you look at that and you look at all these things and they build up in your mind mm. and the night before and you're DJing and you get your signatures together. But at that point, you start, mm. you've as much as you might be doing it the night before, as yeah. you've printed out the forms and you've... You've decided to ask people for signatures. I've looked at over the years. I've got the signatures. I take the money in and I'm just like, let's just, let's just do it. Because yeah, I think I even said before, like I I would don't want to regret just being, you know, insipid. And I think it comes down to the being, the being the change thing where I I don't want to tell people, you know, how to live their lives and that sort of thing. So but if I get on my Instagram or my social channels and I say to everyone, hey, everyone, the environment's really important. You guys, you know, use, use your paper straws, <laughs> you guys. That's, you know, that can only achieve so much without coming across as, yeah, it's a little bit, it's a bit hollow, the co- just calls from a, a random person. But if I sort of, you know, strap my boots up and go, no, I'm, I'm serious about these things and I'm going to tell you what I'm about. And then if you agree, you can vote for me as well. I don't necessarily want the, um, yeah, I don't want to win the election more than have someone else who thinks like me win the election. I'd rather someone else do the work, ideally, but um, I couldn't see that person running and wanted. So thought I'd give it a go, particularly coming from country areas. You're a country boy yourself. It's like, yeah, they don't often get a look in, particularly if they're in a non-marginal seat. And uh, that's where, you know, I have sympathy for Dan Tien in many ways is because he he wants as much as anyone to have, be able to announce, you know, a, a bullet train from Melbourne to Warrnambool, <laughs> you know, cutting travel times down from three minutes, fifth, three hours and 50 minutes to 45, you know, he'd love to do that. But they're like, you've won the seat already, Dan. We don't need to, you know, we don't need to train there. We've got to put it in, you know, Herbert. Now that is, if we're talking about things that are systematic problems, Mm. so that is one that I would argue that the way that our democracy has evolved to a certain extent is that your vote only counts to a certain extent if you're in a marginal electorate. It is very hard to get the focus of the government. And that's partly to do with the way the major political Mm. parties 
are running elections. You know, they pork barrel in the areas where they think they can flip a seat and they target, you know, their plans and their attention on places where they mm. think they can flip a seat from one way to the other. In fact, if you live in a rural area, even if it's like, you know, an area where the nationals always win because it's dairy <laughs> yep. farmers, it's probably good to just every third or fourth election, let <laughs> yeah. someone else win yeah. just to keep them on their toes. Because then at least next time they'll have to pork barrel you properly. Yeah. Well, it shouldn't have to be like that. But it's like, how can you get 150 representatives that are able to say, yeah, this, you know, the opposition party has a seat which has been held by the opposition for 50 years. Other people have neglected it. They, they desperately need these services. You know, they talk to the experts and then they, uh, you know, go with the experts your um, recommendations rather than ignoring them um, and get stuff in there. It's, and I was sh I'm sure it works to a certain extent. And, you know, the, the biggest, most glaring problems that the public outright, you know, has a massive outrage against, we'll get some things. But until then, it's just like, what can we get away with not doing? So you're obviously running it as an independent. Mm. Um, and part of that is probably just through the fact that you decided at the last minute to do it. But, um, but partly. would you have only been? Would you have always been an independent, regardless of the time, or would you have considered aligning yourself with a political party? I would consider it definitely, but but then you just look at the the poor souls on television, Malcolm Turnbull, who has to get up and says, "Say, guys, we're going the plebiscite." You know that's. That's the best way. That's what my party has decided is the best way to, to get this happening. We're all elected officials. We've had the election already, but we're throwing it back to you guys um, for a big campaign. Here's some money to both sides to advertise. Um, and he's just, he doesn't believe in it at all. And it's just like, oh, you know, as, as selfless as a, a political campaign run to do that, you, everyone's a bit selfish. And I'm like, I don't want to have to do that. I don't, I don't want to live my life stuck in those sort of things. Or Peter Garrett was one of the other ones where he literally is one of Australia's most renowned, you know, hippies, <laughs> almost. Uh, rock musicians, his causes, he's been there, he's wearing the T-shirts, he's wearing the, at the Olympic ceremonies, he gets into the Labor Party, becomes the environment minister. They're in government. And I can't, I can't think of his best achievement in there because he was just so hamstrung by by the party system. And so it's like, I, you just have to recalibrate your brain to think that any sort of move towards progress is an achievement. You've got to be happy with that. But we're, we're used to sort of this, you do something, it was great and it wins something and great. You, I could feel good about that. Whereas in politics, it's a, such a, it's a long game and you can spend 20 years of your life campaigning on something. And then finally you can get you know, how many years has the Adani been going on for now? And you can finally go, yes, me locking myself to things, me doing all this, having a, you know, this stress and everything has stopped the Adani. And it's like, but if that takes 15, 20 years of your, your life and that's all you think about, you've really got to, you've got to be such a selfless person to be able to go through that. I'm not sure if I've got that sort of gall or guts, but that had been me being in a, in, you know, in a party system, being an independent, I, I'm not tied to those sort of things. So I can say what I, what I believe in, what I think is best, try and talk in the way I think politicians should be able to talk to people a little bit better. Um, and if people don't vote for it, I don't get in, I gave it a go. And my sort of piece of happiness coming out of the whole thing is if a young person goes, oh, there was a candidate I, I felt I could vote for. 
You know, I, I can see myself going for it. It looked like fun. You can do it differently. You don't have to release, you know, a dry video talking about these sort of things. You can do interpretive dance in your political campaign. Um, so, yeah. And, or even politicians start, you see it and start running to Tony Burke last night at the APRAs. And, um, yeah, if someone, and he's aware of the campaign. I'm like, oh, I didn't really think anyone would know about this. Um, Will Osby hasn't come out yet, you know. <laughs> I haven't got the, all the, uh, the, big, the big names listening to me yet but um yeah seeing them and it's like oh maybe he's, he's got a few points i'm gonna adapt the way i speak or even dan Tian listens to um philosophy and he's like oh maybe i can you know start stepping outside my um bounds a little bit and being a bit more honest and open with the people and not talking hitting my talking points really well and helping the party that way well it's very easy to just stay in your lane if there's nobody trying to pull you out of your mm. lane and so have you had a look at uh, how many people are running? Do you know what the... In uh, my electorate? Yes. Yeah, we've got five of us. Okay, I'm so the only independent. So there's Gre- Labor and Liberal, yep. Greens and Clive Palmer's party, and then me at, oh, well, Clive, at number four on the ballot. Clive, <laughs> Clive Palmer is uh, spending $70 million on advertising. <laughs> you yeah. got a similar budget? To- uh, no, I'm just going with my own at the moment, um, looking into t-shirt prices. But he, again, like, just doesn't he owe people $70 million as well, but he's spending yep. it on this? Yeah, and then I saw that a lot of his well, candidates so, he got flown to a golf course and they mm. did a training session some, and some might got su- phones. Some might suggest some cruel people who you know <laughs> think that politics is all cynical. Yeah, might, <laughs> might suggest that he has a six billion dollar mine approval on the line that he could do a preference deal with the reigning government and thirty to seventy million dollars on advertising would be a small amount to spend some, to. Uh, uh, who would if say you were, that though? Yeah, if you you'd were have that to be sort pretty of kooky cynical to think that. person. When has that ever happened yeah. in politics, <laughs> you guys? <laughs> Uh, okay, so you're the only independent. Yeah. There's five of you in total. Yep. Uh, what is the normal, do you know what the normal sort of margin in the electorate is? Um, like, it's about 10% liberal, I think, at the moment. It's okay. got ranges between 10 and 15 the last few years. Since 55, uh, Malcolm Fraser, the big Malk, was um, the member for Wannon for many years before he um, ousted Gough Whitlam in, you know, controversial circumstances. Yeah, so um, it's okay, been pretty, so been pretty blue there for a while. blue seat. And yep. it is it mostly just the Warnable city or is it like how? how no, it's like the towns it? around. So you got your Colax, you got your mm. Portlands, Ararat and Stall, up towards the Wimmera in there. Uh, Hamilton, you know, big shout outs to anyone who went to Montevay College in Hamilton there, where my dad taught for a little while. These sort of, um, yeah, places are all so involved. So Stall, home of, the the Stall home of the Stall gift? Home of the Stall gift, Which yeah. means if you're the local member, I imagine you get some sort of prize awarding duties at the Stall oh, gift and yeah, things like that. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fun, though. Hand- Run, over a giant novelty, novelty check. Do a massive handicap for me and I'll yeah. race against the, uh, real, the real fast people. And we get my, um, yeah, but go back to my year six relay days, you know, final, final baton change, dice are down the straight. I mean, like, again, without letting the immediate power go to your head, the idea that you've, you force the stall gift to handicap you and you can run on the stall yeah. gift. Can you ask me why I ran again? Yeah. And I'll just go, well, I really want to present the trophy to the winner of the stall oh, gift. Yeah. Australia's richest footway race. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, you've signed up. Uh, mm. There's five people in the race. Yep. Here's the thing about you. You're young. Uh, I don't know what the demographics down there are. Do you have any Old. idea? Old. Old. Um, I don't know them all off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that 20% of the electorate is over 70 years old. 
So they're they're on the, in the twilight years, you know, and they definitely need representation. Is it from a 30-year-old, potentially? Because these people, they'll care about their children and their children's children, you know, everyone everyone does. So, um, yeah, having it, I walked into with my friend into a, a, she goes, oh, I think there's the people across the road. I kind of know them, that, but they have a dinner party here every, you know, Sunday. And it was this six of eight elderly people sitting around the table like, oh, good on you. You're having a go. Well done. You know, people need some people to you follow their convictions and stuff like that. I'm like, these are all, everyone is people. And so, Well, yeah, also these people, people and- have been around long enough that they realize that how we're being represented now mm-hmm. isn't of the quality that we've previously been represented. So Definitely. I can imagine that some of them share the same frustrations with the status quo. Absolutely. Yeah. And things like transport, like you go down the Warnable train going to Melbourne, there's some good groups of uh, grannies heading up to the uh, the Big Smoker Geelong to go for a shop or something like that. You know, they don't want to be driving long distances at their age. So I'd really love the train to be better as well. Young people who, you know, don't own a car nowadays want to be jumping on there, but it's, it takes forever and it's really expensive. So yeah. Who would uh, do you would be benefited from the fact that we have the highest sign up of uh, young people ever registered to vote in yes, the election? Yes, thank I'd you, imagine. plebiscite, for that yes. one. That got people motivated to get on the rolls. So, yeah, that's really good. Young people will be able to get involved, hopefully, and um, chuck a vote my way or wherever. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't want to tell you what you do, what to are you, do. Are you workshopping campaign slogans? Yeah, oh Try man, to my oh, way. I or... do want to take you to the workshop. I needed you there, Will. I tell you what, um, it was it's dire. Even putting together the how to vote cards before, I'm like, what word should we use? Should it be reliability for the train, or should it be functionality? It's like, oh my god. Yeah, because you realize it's like, oh, I understand how easy it is for politicians to get this way. It's like, you've just got to communicate so effectively. One, because, you know, it benefits people understanding why you're making decisions. But also, like, if you don't do it properly, the media could slam you for a gaff. And you'll be on the front page of news.com.au for the latest, you know, political balls up. Well, do you have a sense that there will be... Like, you know, a few eyes in your direction. I mean, you're a, you know, a, a well-known person, at least to a certain, like a, a certain demographic mm. of Australia, very well-known, you know, um, enough that, you know, if you do say something stupid or do something ridiculous, yeah. that the, the eyes will be there. Is that a pressure that you feel at all? Um, Kind of, but I think the one I've been getting most is like people asking, um, are you worried you're not going to be taken seriously? Yeah. You know, because I think, you know, with the background, everything with context, the background I've come from is like doing these stupid videos, you know, for Triple J in the mornings and that sort of thing. So the people who, um, yeah, I'm familiar with, I interact with on, you know, platforms and stuff, I get them and they get me currently. So I guess there is a bit of a danger of like, oh, these guys will love this. And yeah. then you put it up and you say, I am appalled yeah. <laughs> with you, Alex Dyson, because that crude joke that you've put in there, like I'm, one of these videos, I've just got to edit back of it. So I'm going to put it up soon. Hopefully it's like a love letter to Australian politics breaking up with them. And I'm just saying, oh, you guys, you've... Um, you politicians, you we were meant to be exclusive, but you keep on giving out everyone else a go at the head job. You know, it's a little bit of a crude joke yeah. there, Will. But I but then I'm like, I've got to question myself. I'm like, should I, is it safer to just not put it in there? Should I get rid of it? I don't know. I haven't put it up yet. Should I get rid of it? Head job jokes in yeah. par- parliamentary things. Isn't this just? The, but this is the start of where it becomes this bland. 
Yeah. You know, think. True. I think you've just got to be yourself. Yep. So you've, you've just got to trust your gut in those situations and go, do I think this is funny? Mm. Is this the sort of joke that I would make? <laughs> then sure. If it's yeah. not, then don't do it. You shouldn't feel pressure one way or the other. Yeah. But the minute you start to start, yeah, is it, how's this going to How's Beryl going to like this one? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, have you ever thought of running for politics? No, I've done too many terrible things, Alex. <laughs> too many terrible things. I have. So, yeah, I don't know if anybody's a Game of Thrones fan, but yeah. <laughs> the army of the dead is nothing compared to the skeletons I have in my closet. <laughs> the skeletons will rise as a dragon skeleton. Well, the funny thing is that I, I know I only have skeletons in my closet, but I have plenty of skeletons on the public record. <laughs> plenty of the skeletons are out of the yeah. closet as well. Yeah, you know. they're Roman. Yeah, they're they wouldn't Roman have to around. do so much digging around. <laughs> Just a quick yeah. Google search. They're not in the crypt. They are uh, very close at hand. Uh, I, perhaps the the thing that would always stop me is that I have no confidence that I'm right about anything. Yep. And that would probably be the hugest hurdle for me to overcome mm. is that eventually to represent a people, you've got to think that you not necessarily know best, but that you know something. That you, I don't, I don't know? necessarily agree with that. I Great. think there's a power in knowing what you don't know because- the prime minister is not gonna is not down in Antarctica pulling out glacial ice things, you know, use, extrapolating that data to do that. Someone's doing it. They've, you know, someone's on board. They bring it to someone. You need someone who can, you know, take in information yeah. and go. This is horrible. We need to do something with this. How much money we got, guys? How much money we got? It's like, oh, hang on, another one coming on. You know, rates of suicide of veterans, you know, uh, is quite high as well. You know, something needs to be done because people are, you know, dropping and that's quite immediate as well. So you've got this long-term problem. You've got this other one. You just need some, I think someone who knows that they don't know the answers, but has a, a gut instinct as to what needs to be done in the series, because obviously you'd love to help everyone and fix every problem there with every, with unlimited money, but it's yeah, not possible. But yeah, thinking, you know, best and telling everyone, this is the best way to go. I, yeah, well, I personally wouldn't be able to do that. I'd be able to explain my decisions, how I came to it and hope that, you know, I was right in, in my right frame of mind when deciding uh, to go that particular direction. But uh, saying is like, but putting your hands behind your head going, nah, that one, definitely got to do it. The other one, don't care about it. Because it doesn't, because I'm just a single person. It is so important. Some things are so important to other people that yeah, you got to put yourself in their mind as like, how, how much stress is this causing someone else? I do, I do like that a lot. That's a great perspective. I, during my stand-up show at the Comedy Festival, I was talking about climate change. And, and one of the, the lines that I had in it was like, I believe, you know, man-made climate change. But for the record, I've done zero experiments. <laughs> like, I don't have a science degree. Yeah, but, I've done no, none of my own investigation into this. Yeah, well, I just trust the people who are, are qualified to tell me that this is the case. Like we are getting into that, that cynical side of things where, you know, research and scientists are being questioned. You know, cons they're conspiracies now, like the flat earth thing. Um, did you have you watched the documentary on Netflix about it yet? I I, I watched about the first twenty minutes yeah. and I was loving it, but the person that I was watching it with uh, <laughs> decided that we'd watched enough of the first okay, documentary. For sure. Well, in that side of things, they just said, "Look, we are going to conduct experiments. We don't trust the data that we've got. You know, we're going to do our own." And they did it, and um, without 
you know, at the risk Spoilers. of spoiling. So we've already talked Game of Thrones. That was a bit, you know, dicey already. Um, but at the risk of spoiling it, they do the experiments and lo and behold, it, it matched up with yeah. uh, <laughs> what the other people had done. So why you just go, what... You know, it's like people reading through the the Mueller report. I'm going to find something that these journal teams of journalists who've had been experienced for many years are not going to find that'll you know do something. It's like no, I do trust in people until they they do prove you wrong. I guess, and um, yeah, I think that people have a pretty good track record. But I don't understand how people can go into a doctor's thing and they go, look, we found something you need, you've got an 80% chance of dying. We need to operate immediately or we're going to use this therapy. And they go, yeah, do whatever you need to do, please. Like, what's it going to cost? Medicare card? Yep, got this. But a scientist goes, well, we've got a 97% chance that uh, in the next 12 years, if we don't do anything, we're like, we're cactus. They go, no, don't believe you. I sometimes, <laughs> I sometimes hear people use that argument about the doctor and I mm. had somebody say to me, go, well, yes, but sometimes they say, you know, if you see a doctor, get a second opinion. Yeah, And I was definitely. like, yeah, but they want you to get a second opinion from another doctor. <laughs> they don't want you to get a second opinion from a dude on the internet who's read a few articles. A vlogger. A different theory. Yeah, a vlogger, indeed. <laughs> um, that is a very good point as okay. well. Okay, do you have a team? Do I have a team behind me? Yes. Um, I've got a couple of very nice friends uh, in Warnable who, yeah, who... We get along well, and they go, yes, you would be good in, in this particular thing. I'm going to go and hand out a few flyers for you. I'm going to organize some meetings. And so, yeah, they've been really nice to talk to. I just met up with my cousin today. He was helping me out. He's worked in politics before and just saying, oh, I think in this particular one, that's too much, too many words. Simplify it, that sort of thing. So I do have a bit of a team going on, all unpaid volunteers at this point. So, um, yeah, and a few people have got in touch, like, how can I help on Instagram and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it's very nice that people have, have done that. And have the other political parties got in touch? Because normally what <laughs> Michael, yeah. Michael was telling us that uh, immediately he was contacted by the uh, the preferences whisperer because, <laughs> you know, yeah. like they were interested in where his preferences would go and all those yeah. sort of things. So I imagine when you announce, whether it's Dan Tian yep. or whether it's the local Greens you know, Jean from the Greens. Jean from the Greens. She gave me a call. Yeah, she gave me a call. Talked the, preferences, but that was the only well, one. Well, I can actually. imagine both of them. You'd immediately be on both of their radars because I imagine Jean from the Greens is thinking, "Oh shit," you know. <laughs> the, the, perhaps, sure. perhaps some of my guaranteed younger person audience yeah. that I was relying on, Jean from the Greens, young person who's concerned with you know climate change, is yeah. like this could this could take a few votes. Damn it! Yeah. I thought Jean, I thought I was going to be the only one. Yeah. Jean from the Greens. I've got my rhyming name. I've gone to the right party. Uh, and then Dan, I imagine you know someone who has an inbuilt profile and access to media and these mm. sort of things, even if it's on the small scale that you have. Yeah, or the, am, un, the time where the um, large national scale works against me because a lot of people are like, oh, if only we lived there, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's it's a funny one like that. So, uh, but I am I am interested in, yeah, so the contact. So the only one who's contacted you is Gene from the Greens Yeah, so no word from Dan Tien. I did comment on one of his Instagram posts because he put up his preferences, put me at number three oh, um, without okay. talking to me. You know, I didn't try to do any deals, which could mean he's a very, you know, honourable man, just goes with his be. conviction. Yeah. Put Clive above me. Oh, uh, the, that, the Palmer that, United yeah. above me. I mean, that does make me doubt the thing that you just <laughs> said a little bit more. Though. But then again, it could come from on high, you know. It's not only Scott Morrison doing yeah. that, but the faceless men. I was about to say, and women, but mm. liberal parties. Mostly men. Yeah, 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 mostly men. Um, have decided that 
as a party, everyone's accepting preferences from here. And so, Dan Tien, even though you personally may not think this, that's what we're doing. And uh, you put it above the uh, the local boy who went on radio and is trying to, you know, make a positive difference or whatever. But everyone's making a positive difference. So make up your own mind. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, being preferenced above uh, Labor, Labor and the Greens... Uh, yes. In in yep. that regard. Now, do you know what Labour and the Greens, where they're putting you? Greens are putting me second. Okay. Don't good. know anything else. Thanks, Gene, from the Greens. Thanks, Gene, for uh, sorting that one out for me. Um, but yeah, don't know where the other people are putting me. Okay. Because that's the thing. I don't really want to do preferences because I remember when my dad said, not like talking about preferences, oh, no, you can you can put whatever you, you want. Mm. It's not the party that you're voting for. It doesn't dictate what you do. It's it's a suggestion to help their interests and then may probably the second party's interests, you know, that sort of thing. Like, oh, okay. Well, I'll just go and see who looks the best, you know, do a bit of research and find out. There we go. Uh, that in itself is an interesting point. Mm. You know, the idea that uh, I think a lot of people don't even think it through that much. Mm. You know, they really do. You know, they grab their hat. They go, I'm a Labor person or I'm a Liberal person or I'm a whatever. They grab the card and they just go. All right. Well, this is the order. Yeah. This is what I will fill it in. So how do you engage people in a way that gets them beyond just that? Well, I was putting on my how to vote cards today, you know, the little meeting. We've got a politi- political meeting this morning um, to say, yeah, again, <laughs> the, the old Alex Dyson, make up your own mind. That should be the slogan, <laughs> um, which is like, I'm putting this down literally in case there are people who put a one in my box and then nothing in anything else, and then submit an invalid vote. It's like, uh, nothing personal, Gene, from the Greens. Uh, I'm putting you third. Uh, thank you for putting me second. But I'm explaining, like, the reason I'm doing this is because in order to play the political game in Wannan, we've got to try and get this as marginal as possible. And so, therefore, you know, we'll get a bit more attention and, yeah, a bit more money will be coming to the essential services in the area that uh, that people need. So I try and explain that at the uh, at the bottom of the How to Vote card, that it's totally up to them. But here's what I put in there so you don't put a dick in one of the other ones. Exactly. <laughs> Feel free to put Gene from the Greens number two. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so far she's my favourite of the... Well, she's sort of the um, the head of the, you know, that sort of one in Greens. The uh, the Green uh, actual member is named Zeflin. So, um, oh. which doesn't rhyme at all. Nah. nah I'm, um, I'm off so, Zeflin. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, so... thought it, I thought it was Gene. I didn't... <laughs> nah, Gene's just the coordinator. Quick, this is how quickly I turn. She's the faceless woman. Zeflin. <laughs> Bloody greens with their faceless women. <laughs> why, do have to people, why do people have to live up to stereotypes all the time? Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So what are your priorities then? Because we haven't spoken about that yet. Like the actual things that you do prioritize because you will be asked this. I'm sure you've probably yeah. already been asked this and you must have had to think about what it is that you want to, when you have opportunities to speak to the media or when you have opportunities to speak to the voters, what you are going to say are your priorities if you happen to win. So what are your priorities? Well, the thing that got me into it was the environment thing and wanting to have, you know, do something for this big problem, which I think, yeah, it has gone from saving the whales to saving ourselves, you know? Um, Yeah, I think that issue is at the forefront of mine. And it's also gone from, you know, this would be a good thing to do. It's a bit pricey, you know, it's the expensive, nice thing to have in your house just to tell everyone. But now it's like, okay, it's also, if we don't do this economically, we're going to suffer as well, which is one of the biggest arguments against it for a long time. But looking at, you know, report after report saying that it's, if we don't do it, we're going to have to start building, investing in seawalls or like the damage from natural disasters, you know, Northern Queensland flooding and 
typhoons, they're becoming more regular in correlation with the rising temperatures. They're becoming more catastrophic. Insurance premiums are going up. You know, these sort of things are just like, yeah, a while ago, maybe it would have looked like that we, it would cost more to have a solar power plant than a coal power plant. People ask, yeah, and that's the thing that always comes up. What is all this going to cost? Yeah. But if you've read any of the science around this and- I read the IPCC report into climate change. Of course you did. I do not recommend it. <laughs> not, a, not a page turner uh, in any way. Uh, uh, to be honest, just read a few report, read a few articles about yeah. the IPCC report. Summaries. They'll, yeah. give you, they'll give you the gist. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a lot of it that is very heavy going. But yeah. I did it because I wanted to write about it in the show and I wanted to actually read the report mm-hmm. and see what they were actually saying. Um, it, we are now at a point where even though these costs are speculative, mm. that it seems that the cost of doing nothing is now more than the cost of doing something. Absolutely. And even if you are the most conservative person in the world who, you know, whose main policy is that we need to stop the boats, then you should cl- care about climate change. Because I'll tell you what, refugees in our area coming mm. by boat. Oh, you don't like boat people. Look out. If you don't like it, this is a way to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> by, like, you know? A lot of people are going to be boat people when their country yeah. sinks under the ocean and yeah. they have to flee to somewhere else. Yeah. That's and true. So th- it does affect a lot of issues that aren't just, you know, hug a tree, greeny issues anymore. Absolutely, this is yeah. a worldwide issue that needs to be addressed and, you know, is in every country being addressed in, in, in some way. So, mm. Uh, all right, so the environment is number one. Yep. What would you say is number two? Um, number two, I guess, circ- centres around regional areas, one of which being, you know, access to regional areas. You know, growing up, so Warrnambool's the sort of place, it was 30,000 people. It had enough to get a taste for something. So it was great growing up there in that if you wanted to be in a musical, you could do that. If you wanted to play table tennis, it had a table tennis club, you know. The smaller the towns get, the sort of the, the fringe things start sort of falling over and then it's just footy and then it's footy, but the town, you're merged with the town next door and, just, you know, it gets down. So one was pretty good in that regard, but me, like everyone my age who wanted to get into, you know, have a career in some sort of thing, have to move away and, you know, live in the city, you know, particularly doing creative arts, you know, the city is the only place you can really do that. And so, you know, supporting industry and like music and the arts and even things in those towns, I think is be really good. Part of that could just be getting better transport. I talked about the Warnable train taking forever. If it's not out of the question to commute between places, it just makes so much more sense. And then the people who live there can get to places they need to go. And then the tourism is better for people in the city who like to see, you know, some beautiful, pristine coastline, that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, making sure that regional areas can thrive with little ecosystems of their own rather than, yeah, being constantly having nothing to do. And the only thing that politicians could think of doing for young people is to build a skate park. You know, not everyone skates. And so, um, yeah, having some things, whether it is, you know, music or whatever, I'm just speculating here is what it could be. But well, yeah, but I, getting someone to think of some uh, great things to do and that supporting uh, or supporting people in the community who have an idea of something that could work because they know the town, they know right. friends, they've got people who will do it. And once it's up and running, it can live on, on its own without, you know, life support from a government to keep it, to prop it up. 
But um, yeah, things like that. It doesn't have to be an artistic thing. It could even be like a bar or small business and that sort of stuff. But, uh, public transport makes a big difference though, doesn't it? I mean, particularly yeah. when you're talking about that high-speed rail, because we, we talk about one of the major problems. Melbourne's about to become uh, the biggest city population-wise in Australia yep. uh, very quickly. Uh, its population is growing. And one of the things that that means is that uh, there are enormous demands on the infrastructure. You know, people are spending more time on the roads, They're all these sort of things. And I speak, I talk to my friends about this all the time, is that if you could live in Warrnambool, you know, by <laughs> yeah. the ocean yeah. and catch a 45 minute or, you know, like let's say yeah. you could take an, an hour, hour 10. It takes right? an hour 10 on the tram to cross north to south in Melbourne. You know? t- yeah. People are driving an hour, an hour and a half in their car every morning to get to work, you know, stuck in traffic. Like the idea that you could live somewhere beautiful where mm. your rent would be half of what it would be in the city, yeah. that you could have this lifestyle where, you know, maybe you only even commute three times a week or something and you work from, you know, if you've got a high-speed internet and you've got a high-speed train, you know, these communities would grow. It would solve half Mm. the population problems and infrastructure problems we're having in the city. But it also keep these rural and country and communities alive and growing Mm. and reinvigorated. Like, you look at places in the US that have done that, like (laughs) cities that have grown up to be their own individual you know, satellite cities because of that. And I just look at places like Newcastle. I look at places like, yeah. you know, Warrnambool and, and like, you know, a, a little bit down where I'm from, East Gippsland, you know, you see it happening a little bit down there, but you could see it more and more, it's happening more and more if it was serviced in the right way. Yeah. And it's just, it's just in a really efficient way to move people between places. Like you could build a bigger road for more people, but it's just that then That'll be a, people like, oh, great, we've got a sweet road. It's really cruisy. You can go along. And that gets more people on the cars. It ruins the road. They're like, well, do we go a bigger road again? Yep. Crank it up a little bit. And then, you know, the same problem happens. Whereas, yeah, trying to get, it makes sense to me to, um, yeah, chuck an extra carriage on the end of a train rather than, you know, a bigger, another couple of lanes. You put an extra carriage on, you make it a nice experience. You whack internet in there. Oh, like you exactly, say to pe- yeah. You say to people, you don't have to drive your car. You, you can, can watch watch stuff instead watch of just Game having of to listen to podcasts while to, driving. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, yeah, some, yeah. as someone who works in breakfast radio, what I mean is <laughs> driving in your car yeah. and listen to, and don't even listen to podcasts. <laughs> podcasts are dumb. Yeah. Breakfast live radio is where it's at. <laughs> it is thriving. Never been better, live radio. Um, uh, okay. So tell me, I feel, have we covered the politics, do you think? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I reckon we've gone there, unless you've got something else well, you need to um, discover. But yeah, do I, you I, feel like that you've yeah that you've said what you want to say though? Like I think so. I gave I'd you like a few to policies. Talk to you about talk to your discourse. Mm. Um, we went. It came all sprouted from the philosophy as well, which means it's it works with the name of the podcast. So um, oh no, yeah, I'm, good. I'm this... very pleased. I was just asking if you were okay. Oh yeah, more than happy. <laughs> Before to I do move that. on, yeah, to... I'm not used to talking this much yeah. politics with people. Well, so I'd, it's I'd, great I'd, exercise for me for when I'm having an interview on ABC local Warnable radio on Monday, but... Um, yeah, I'd be like, Alex Dyson, are you making politics a joke? <laughs> exactly right. Something like that. Do you think the people of Warnable will enjoy swears <laughs> in Parliament? <laughs> Do you even yeah. own a suit? Um, I did jump into... I used my dad's suit to uh, jump into the <laughs> ocean um, to take some photos. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's sodden, and I think the salt water is not going to be good for it. But um, um I do own one. <laughs> I need better shoes though. Uh, okay, so tell me about the the Alex Dyson story. Now, this is the bit where we get to talk about 
Yeah, All before right. this one thing that you're doing. So you grew up in Warrnambool, in yeah. the city? Yeah, um, in the so city you, town. So your dad's a teacher? Yeah, he was sort of, uh, my parents were teachers. Both teachers. Yeah, oh, okay. they, they met at uni doing outdoor education, teaching in Ballarat. Was there and ever to any Warrnambool pressure I was born. to um, go into teaching? Because that... No, there was pressure to not go into okay. teaching. It said, don't be a teacher. No, it's like, I think the pay, you know, the deal thing, it's like, he, my dad said not to. It's like, I, I yeah, have a little bit of thing, like it would be a cool thing to do because it's that, you know, teaching young people, like the ways of the world. It's like just things that you wish that you had had going in teachers that that's slightly appearing, appealing, but friend, no, he didn't try to funnel me into the, uh, the education department. My best no. friend from high school, he, um, he, he's both his parents are teachers. And they encouraged him to be a teacher. And he was like, I'm never going to be a teacher. So he went off and did something else. And guess what he is now? Teacher. Yeah. yeah. Guess, <laughs> guess who he's married to? Teacher. teacher. <laughs> well, I find kids of teachers, I find, I've, I'm always, when when I'm talking, of course, I'm like, yeah, this person's really cool. What do your parents do? They're like, oh, they were teachers. It's like, yeah, I, I think I think teaching is a really good, really good job and really like incredibly valuable job. Um, and I think the people, the mindsets and, you know, I guess the dealing with children, I don't know what it is. I just anecdotally, I think, yeah, people have yeah, had parents or friends, close people who are teachers. Are, what was um, your relationship cool. with education growing up? Um, I really liked primary school. I never wanted to grow up. I never thought like what I wanted to be. I'm like, no, this is great. You can play. <laughs> you can can eat all these whatever you want. I don't have to do any job. I think I already realized that one day I'll have to have do to have some of this. It's like when you get tall enough to I remember I remember the day I got tall enough that dad said on the lowest part of the hill's hoist I could reach the line. He's like, "Well, you got to be hanging up the washing." I'm like, "What? What? No. No. I I don't want to do this. It's all wet." <laughs> I was playing footy. I don't want to be, oh, so then you're just like, well, I don't want to get taller. I don't get older. Um, this is all pretty good. Yeah. Um, um, what, what were you like at high school? Going into high school, I, I think I, I, I was really like, because there's, there's not that many clicks in primary school and getting into high school. And so I was just, you know, f- trying to be friends with people and, you know, I was reasonably good at sport and that sort of thing. So you pretty cool and that sort of thing. And then get into high school and then there are they're actually, you know, there's the cool boys and I was not one of, <laughs> one of them and I was fine and I wasn't, you know, bottom of the rung or anything and I could get along with everyone, but it's just like, oh, okay. I remember like I, like, started, <laughs> I found this, this old moose in the cupboard. I'm like, oh, I'm going to like spike my hair up. And so it lasted a oh, couple of so, months. So again, I think that, that when, you said, when you said moose, I, yeah. I was like chocolate moose, no, an actual moose. No, like hair sculpting moose. Okay. And I just think back and I'm like, what was I doing? Cause you just become, I'm not sure if it's, it's biological, but you just become insecure all of a sudden. Right. And then people have got the rip curl, um, board shorts and I've only got golden breed board shorts from Kmart. And I'm like, Oh man, but they're so expensive. I, I don't know. I can't buy, I don't have my own money to buy them. My dad's not going to pay that much for, uh, for board shorts for no. me. So I'm He's not, a teacher. I'm exactly. Can't, can't I'm a teacher. Rip curl board shorts on a teacher's salary. <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyway, yeah, you just, you just go through that, that teenage side of things. I was never, yeah, too bad off. I was a bit of a floater, I guess, during high school because I did do the, um, the school musicals, but also, yeah, played footy a bit as so well. Was it so was mostly footy sports-wise? Um, no, I did. Oh, man. I started off little ass in gymnastics and soccer and then went into basketball because my friends were playing basketball and then went into 
um, swimming because I did the swimming school sport. So my dad used to just take us down to Fig Tree Caravan Park and we'd just do <laughs> a few laps. He'd teach us to swim. Got to in Australia, you know, we're born on the water, yeah. you know, so I got to do that. But um, yeah, so I did lots of sports, then got into footy when I was about 16, 17, which is unfortunate because by then the bad habits of, you know, too high a ball drop were ingrained. I couldn't get rid of it, but, you know, relatively um, did okay at that one. And, but yeah, so I really liked that, but there was some part of me that also did other weird creative things and I wasn't too, you know, a, a little bit embarrassed, but not too embarrassed to do that because it was fun to do. Like also, me and Tom Ballard decided when we were, I was 18 to, we did tap dancing at Melissa's hip hop dance group. <laughs> we were in the class with 12 year old girls. And if you look hard enough, there is internet footage of a wow. end of year project we did. That'll I'm be not going to tell you the keywords. Dan Tiam's dirt yeah. fire that he's digging up on you right now. Well, the problem is we did it down at the Warnable train station, and the train looks like a bloody 1920s train. It was all 1920s themed because we were tap dancing. But anyway, and so the point being there that we need to update a train. But um, good, see, look but how then I went. Good you've got it. Getting the political message in. I went. I went straight from. I remember. It was on Monday night and footy training was on Monday night that night. So I went straight from I can tap, tap dance. dance. Took like, off my tap like shoes. Like Dan has been tap dancing around <laughs> his responsibilities to Warrnambool. Exactly. Yeah. Trotting on the little guys around here. Uh, but yeah, it's a footy training and um, yeah, swapped into the footy boots. And so, yeah, I, it, that made me, yeah, a bit of a floater. So it was good in that I could chat to the, the footy boys and chat to the 12 year old. But that's um, tap dancing girls, I think, which yeah, it gave me appreciation for lots of different people. But it didn't. It yeah. meant I was slightly isolated in that. Like you're doing that, and then you're studying. Like you didn't have like a couple of my really good friends. They become friends that you see, but you then hang out with other people because they're studying in the library, or you hang out with this other kid because he's playing soccer at lunch, and you want to get involved, or he's got a hacky sack. <laughs> I, I so I I like that though because I identify a lot with that. Like mm. in that. I was not one particular thing growing up in the country either. And I think part of that is just growing up in the country. Yeah. Like there's a not enough of any one thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, so you end up doing a lot of different things with a lot of different people, if you're lucky. Yeah. You know? And I certainly had, had a very similar experience. But what tier, you... what tier of popularity were you on, would you say? Where were you? Like, let's talk levels here. Well, here's the thing. I'm not running for p- politics, so I don't actually have to be honest. <laughs> but... My parents, <laughs> here's what I would tell you my parents Said say. you were cool? My, par- <laughs> my parents, because uh, I understand with my chosen career mm. that it's much more funny to imply that you were more overweight than you were, that you were a bigger loser in regard mm. to certain things than you were. But the truth of it is that if you say those things enough, eventually you rewrite your own yeah. brain. and. So I remember. It's like the um in TV, like Pixel Burn, Sky News is stuck up yeah. in the top left hand corner because someone watched it too much. Yeah. yeah, and so I, I in my head will tell these stories of like you know being overweight at school and then see <laughs> and then see a picture of myself and go, oh, look, I mean I wasn't thin, but I've exaggerated yeah, that one over yeah, the years. Or yeah. or you know I'll be like, oh, in high school I was struggling with the fact that I was like you know writing these plays and people didn't blah blah. blah. And Mum was like, yeah, but you were like house captain. Yeah, they wanted to make you like a. <laughs> like, right, you've reframed yeah. this like idea of your childhood in a way, but sure. but I will say this: that I never entirely felt like I fit in, mm. and I always had that sense. So I was reasonably good at being able to 
fit in to these various different groups, mm. but I never felt personally inside me that I fit in. So I was very good at being able to look like and behave like and go through the motions of fitting in and yet always, and maybe that's the thing that all kids feel like, you know, you don't feel that yeah. but I certainly had that sense of never a hundred percent going, ah, this is my place. This is, these are my people. Yeah. I think for, for people who are able to do that and communicate with different, you know, walks of life, unless, <laughs> Because you, you, you can adapt, but you don't have to necessarily feel comfortable. You want to feel comfortable because you want to, you want people to like you and you want to be, you know, friends with people. And so you can start, you know, adapting your, your language to, you know, communicate better with, you know, people down at the pub than you can people, you know, in the center of Melbourne going to the Hamer Hall to see something, that sort of thing. But yeah, unless you're wanting to be accepted by them rather than wanting to have a conversation with them. Yeah. In high school, I don't think you can tell the difference between them and you really want to, yeah, find a bit of a tribe to, to call home and have just people who've got your back really. But then there is that insidious feeling. And I felt it when I first went to college as well. And I think this is when I'm sort of starting to <clears throat> figure out that it doesn't matter and you've just got to, you know, you don't, don't want to please ever. You can't play roles that you feel uncomfortable playing, which is like you get there and oh week is everyone saying, oh, wait, oh my God, best week of your life. So like, where did you go to be, uni? I went to Melbourne uni. Okay. Yeah. Ended up going to a college there, um, just a residential college, which was good because a lot of, it was one where a lot of country kids went. And so a lot of their intake was for people who they don't have a home, but like a few, there's plenty of colleges, you know, around Australia where it is one of those, their parents went there. And so they live in town. They go to the house. They could live at home. They got a great home they, with their they, own bedroom. They all went to Melbourne Grammar together and now they all go to Trinity together. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a, you know, it's a bit of a, a, a scene rather than it is like a functionality of being close to the, to the university and having friends because none of the, your other friends are going to Melbourne uni or whatever. Um, but O week was just, I found very overwhelming because what I'd never drunk, um, creative arts. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. The thinking man's arts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the arts degree. Only degree which has, you know, is more of a punchline than arts. Than, yeah. You know, it's just, it's so not known that you can't say it's, you know, the Bachelor of McDonald's yeah. drive through or whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was all good. And I really, O-Week overwhelming because I hadn't drunk before. I wasn't very good at flirting with people and, you know, kissing people. And it's suddenly you're just in this one with, you know, 80, 18 year olds of, um, you know, various levels of experience. And they just, everyone's just going for it because they're all getting drunk and they're all doing this. And I was just like, it was this vortex of stuff. And our college was quite good in that, you know, there was, everyone was reasonably like, it wasn't the, the horror stories that you do here, but it, for me, it was like, oh, it, it is full on basically. And so you, after that, and after a few months, suddenly things start settle down, you get in the swing of uni, you start, you know. Um, just realizing that, oh, no, people here do like me, you know, I could just be myself. I could still do the musical if I want to. I don't have to be able to, you know, kiss as many people as other people to, yeah, it's not, it's not a, it's not a mark on my record. It's a feather in my cap sort of thing, you know, because that's the way I do. It. And then that's more likely to attract you to other people that you do get along with better. And so then you find good friends and you, you come along and you, yeah, you find yourself a little bit th that way, I think. Yeah. Well, it's that big thing, isn't it? Of like, if, if what you like to do is, you know, read books in the park, there's no good yeah. going to a nightclub to find someone <laughs> who, you know, like. You're going to grind up yeah. on you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you also like books? Yeah. <laughs> 
God, so then Will put his hands over his head <laughs> and uh, motioned. I did a grinding motion. I did. I, uh, <laughs> Using the wheelie chair yeah. to uh, get the hips back and forth. <laughs> Which is the only way I can get my hips back and forth. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Okay, so what uh, what was your university experience like in general? Um, college made university worthwhile. So in that sense, like <laughs> creative arts, it was the last year that Melbourne University was running that particular um, <laughs> course because they were going to a sort of more, a bit of a, they called it the Melbourne model, where it's a lot of postgraduate study rather than undergraduate. So you couldn't do law as a your first degree. You'd do a commerce degree and then you'd do a, JD or, you know, right. law after it, a master's or something like that. So they were getting rid of creative arts. And so the program was on its last legs. There weren't <laughs> much to choose from. And so I ended up doing things like um, game studies um, where I, like, we talked about video games a lot. I'm like, video games? I like, I like video games. I'll do this subject. You just talk about, I did an essay on advert gaming, which is advertising within video games mm. and stuff like that. And it's just like, it's not going to come in handy at all in, in the future. I'm like, I guess, you know, I could have gone into marketing video games. There is useful there, but for me, it wasn't particularly useful at the time. Things like Space Lab, where... Um, it, that was named because, as, as artists will, um, we work with time and space. And uh, it was lab because we consider the artistic studio our laboratory um, <laughs> in which we conduct experiments in art. You know, that's, that's what we're de- dealing with here. And I remember I went, I was in space lab one time. Okay, we had two options. All right, kids, uh, uh, young adults, you know, you're not in high school now. This is tertiary education that you're paying through the nose for. Well, I think you creative scientists. I think creative scientists. That's what I. That's what I am. I should put that on my when I come back into Australia on yeah. the on the uh, immigration form. Just down in the lab doing some experiments. <laughs> exactly, but I could draw. They said, "Oh, today we're drawing blind, mm. or we're creating art for the blind because, uh, you know." blind people, how do they interact with art? And I thought, that's quite interesting because, you know, you want to go and see the, you know, a person, a blind person experiencing the um, Mona Lisa in the Louvre would just think it's just very bustly and wouldn't be able to see, you know, the eyes following them around the room. I mean, it's a good point, isn't it? You get all the inconvenience of standing in a large group of people (laughs) being bustled. (laughs) Exactly. Talking French all around you and all that sort of thing. But um, you could do that or draw blind, which is shut your eyes and try and create art with like blindfolded. And I'm like, that sounds a little bit lame. I'm going to create art for the blind. Cause I'm like, yeah. And this is, I guess this is one of the benefits of, you know, tertiary education. It's just, it's just more learning about things you hadn't considered before, whether it is, you know, essays on feminist film theory or something, or, you know, parts of the body you didn't know existed and that sort of thing. But for me, it was space lab. And I started creating a beach ball, the panels of which, would represent, you know, a classic coloured beach ball. Like a red panel would be a hot texture. Like so I use sandpaper for hot. And I was like, metal could be blue and cool and green. I'll use leaves. It's like an organic texture or something. So I was got the hot glue gun out. I was halfway through my beach ball and the <laughs> the tutor comes over and is like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, well, just explain yeah. to her exactly what I was doing with the textures and the colours and the, you know, feeling for the blind people. She's like, oh, no, no. No, blind people don't think like that. Um... You go and draw with your eyes closed for the rest of the lesson. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I just went back to college and had a few beers. And I mean, so that, that's, that does feel yeah. kind of 
Against the rules of the lab, yeah, I Yeah, in the lab, you know, it's got a thought. couple of rules, but the arts and the space lab, no. you've got to uh, no, that's not give what, people a bit more freedom. That's not what blind people like in the yeah. lab. <laughs> yeah, thank you for your expertise. I don't know much about art, but I know what blind people like, yeah, and it's indeed. not what you're doing. Uh, so anyway, that's um, what I was doing in uni. Okay. But so then I liked college, because college is, it was... It was interacting with people and it's other, you know, in, intelligent, you know, people from different backgrounds, people who lived with their family in Thailand for two years, like that sort of thing. You're just meeting, you're in a bed with people your age, going through the same thing you're doing, finding things out and you can, yeah, you can really come into your own and start, um, yeah, growing as a human being. Yeah. Albeit getting, you know, passes, P's to get degrees, the whole, whole thing. I mean, yeah. I did, I did a little bit better than that, but, um, yeah, that's all right. I mean, look, because I like, I, yeah, I, would, I don't want to say, I don't want to do the thing where I cruise, no. you know, through uni, just like drinking it up. Cause I'd try to do my best and all that sort of thing. But, um, it, I, looking back on it, I'm like, I, I learned so much more yeah. interacting with my peers back at college than I did, um, in the lab. And the good, <laughs> the good news is too, that a pass in like a course like creative arts, a pass, <laughs> a pass in a high distinction. You know, whatever. And you wouldn't They're know. Both... I wouldn't be able to guess because some of the right. times I do really well and other times like you had to create my, our big project. I did a video art. I filmed my granddad doing a Sudoku <laughs> and a cross stitch and then watching television. It went for six minutes, three shots of a video camera on a tripod, my best mark right. for the whole thing that I put the least amount of effort in. So, and that, and that shows you, you can, if you're passionate, I guess it's, you can't let people tell you what is good and not good. You know, you try to do what you, um, what you want and yeah, people will hopefully be Which able to... may be the actual most important lesson you could learn out of a creative arts course. Definitely. Like if the lesson that you took out of it was that mm. art is open to interpretation yeah. and, and that maybe that's <laughs> yes. actually the lesson they were trying to that's teach you all along. It's, yeah. One day they they'll come up from to behind go, the thing yeah. at me just throwing my yeah. beach ball in the bin going, yes, Alex. Yes. 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 You are learning, my child. <laughs> Just, just the Batman becoming the villain in order to do good for me. The, you know, the jaded creative arts student. Or, or, or I like the idea that the, you know, the tutor, the lecturer is back in the office going, I actually really loved it, but I had to do it. Yeah. I had to do it. I he would like... not have learnt. Uh, so the thing that people, you know, know you best from, I imagine, is that from working with Tom on... Triple J doing the breakfast yeah. show on Triple J, and so or my um, stints as the love advice, uh, boy advice guy in girlfriend magazine for a couple of years, but Triple I'm, J also a lot. I mean, obviously for the readers, yeah, for exactly. the readers out there, for but, the readers out there, uh, but for people who like audio stimuli, yes, also, you're right. We most likely listening to this. We've yes. both done a little bit of that because I once uh, wrote a. Uh, a monthly column for Cosmo magazine, which was like the the guy's perspective on, uh, on girls. We've all done it. <laughs> we've all done it. Did you find that you were writing the same thing generally over and over again, which is like communicate and also he's a you know just yep. communicate and then do your own. If that doesn't work, then leave. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, my a lot of my stuff was like, here's what I reckon. By the way, I am so not qualified to be yeah. giving any of this <laughs> disclaimer on everyone. Yes, yeah. Um, so how did you and Tom meet each other? How did you guys know each other? Um, we knew each other from uh, nursing mums in Warrnambool. Our parents, you know, our our mothers grew up, you know, in in Warrnambool, had young children, and so we were put into groups, and then we knew each other from there. Um, so he was the year below me at primary school, and sort of, yeah, 
you know, you don't, I didn't really hang out with him because he was a year five and I was in year mm. six and pff, I'm not, <laughs> wouldn't be very cool. Not everybody's seen with him, yeah. but, um, yeah, then we went to, he went to a different high school and we sort of then started the, doing the same, uh, amateur dramatic theater again. We were about 16 and even weren't super friends for a while until we became the, uh, musicals weekly newsletter editors and, uh, <laughs> why are people laughing? <laughs> Why is a producer laughing at this? This is, I was going to continue the story and I was interrupted by, by laughter and amusement. Um, I mean, we tried to make it funny, but we'd email each other on a Friday night. It's like, oh, dude, rehearsal's tomorrow. We've got to get this done. The, the cast needs to know what's going on in the world of amateur country theatre. So, hang on. So, was the newsletter solely about... I don't Country even want to. No, I don't even want to tell you about no, the newsletter because it's even. I don't. Oh, I really hope that Tom Ballard is listening to this and just. I can feel him right now. This is in his ears. He's hearing my voice now. It's going, Alex. Don't tell him the whole truth. Tell don't me, do, tell don't me the whole do truth. it. Um, so it was um, a Mexican themed um, newsletter. <laughs> Which we originally called the Dirty Sanchez. No, no. <laughs> Until someone not... complained because it was a sexual position. Yeah. I just thought it was a um, funny, you know, yeah. funny term. Mexican. Term. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then we're just <laughs> <laughs> writing about the cast through the prism of tacos and piñatas. And... So, it was on. just like e- it was all easy Mexican punch. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hello, seniors and senioritas. <laughs> For no discernible it's your, reason. It's your favourite <laughs> correspondence, Guzman near Gomez. Yeah. Yeah. Who's Guzman? Who's Gomez? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I don't know why we did that. I think we thought Dirty Sanchez was a funny name and then that was sort of like a yeah. Mexican type thing. And we're just like, we just ran, ran, <laughs> ran with it. Oh, so I'm sorry, Tom, that you, I did that. But um, hey, you've got to be honest in this political game, don't you? Who would have thought that have uh, thought? the two guys writing the D- Dirty Sanchez? <laughs> one of them. Well, we changed it. We changed it to the Weekly Sanchez. <laughs> sorry, the Weekly Sanchez. Yeah. And I'm so glad when we started our first community radio show, yes. uh, the 10 p.m. Thursday nights on Three Way FM Warnable, um, it's. Well, again, Three Way FM. <laughs> They're setting <laughs> And they, we didn't even realise that was dirty until someone at the Warnable ABC scoffed when we said that. So um, anyway, we we considered calling that, you know, Sanchez Radio and then just <laughs> taking the magazine on. Thankfully, we uh, we didn't. We called it The Breakfast Show uh, and went with the irony of it being at 10pm at night to idiots who don't know how to do radio. Um, I mean, it's amazing though that like there must have been people reading the Weekly Sanchez or listening to the Breakfast Show on Three Way FM, and I can't imagine. No, I.e., people we already knew and were our friends. Probably never yeah. imagining that, that one day one of you would host Q and A and the other would run for federal politics. Oh, imagine if Ballard ends up hosting it in the future, and I'm oh. a politician and I have to go on and on. represent stuff. I mean, that'd be oh man, that'd amazing. be wild. <laughs> uh, so. Um, you guys obviously have a rapport together. You start mm. doing this radio show together. Did you have bigger dreams or aspirations? Like, were you doing the radio show with bigger dreams for it or just because it seemed like a fun thing to do? Well, I did it in, because it would be a fun thing to do. I still, to this day, don't really know what I want to do when I grow up. And so, yeah, when someone, when Tom calls you and you're doing your 
general maths homework in year 12 and says, I got an email from this guy from Triple J. I think he saw me doing raw comedy. Um, he wants us to send us a copy of the show. So we're going to record it this Thursday. And I'm like, yeah, righto, righto, mates. You just, you don't envisage that. What it be? Yeah. I was, I guess would have turned around 18 then that three years later, you were going to be doing the, the breakfast show on Triple J. Yeah. That, that blows my mind. So saying those words, tell us. Because I listen to you in the morning with Adam, because I was flicking around Warnable Radio, and I get on, and it's just like it's it's just sounded different to Coast FM and all the other different things. Like, oh, this is really unique, and it's like, yeah, it's it's a different kind of thing. And so then you build up these people on the radio in your mind, and so you there's a cognitive dissonance between what you are and who that is, and you'll never be able to. Yeah, live up to that particular one because you heard it at your most impressionable. You heard it at your, the time that you needed to hear it, and um, yeah, to then, you, I, I don't believe when people tell me it's like, oh, I grew up. You know, I listened to you. It got me through my apprenticeship on Triple J, you and Tom, and that sort of thing. It's just like from what yeah, I re- but- from what I, what I read on the internet, it hasn't been good since uh, Adam and Will left. I believe. Yeah, I know. Or, I know. No, or since Mike and Helen left. Or since you and Tom left, or yeah. whatever it is. Well, in the music's gone mind. to crap. It's yeah. become more commercial. Since, since I got old. Since '98, when <laughs> Pretty Fly for a White Guy took out the countdown. Since Double J. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, but it's an interesting job, Triple J Breakfast. Like, I mean, uh, yeah, as you said, I, it's something that I did for five years of my life. How long did you do it for? Like seven. seven. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it is the greatest gift you will ever be given Triple J Breakfast. It, it comes with a whole bunch of things that are hard about it. And you are at an age in your life where you probably don't fully appreciate, you know, what it is that you're doing and what you've been given. But I, I know that I will never be given an opportunity regardless of what else that I do in my life that will ever be the opportunity that hosting the Triple J Breakfast Show is. Yeah. Can you talk to me about what your experience of hosting it was? It was, yeah, really, really a, a joy. And, that, and a lot of time you, you don't realize how it is because you go from one thing to the next thing. And a lot of those things, you know, h- half, half of the, those things are things that you come up with, an idea you do. And it's like, oh, I think it'd be funny if we did this. Let's give it a try. And another one, the Triple J calendar, because they do so much <clears throat> um, for like Australian music and whatnot, they'll say, all right, Unearthed High is on this week. And you go, oh, I've got a funny idea we can do. We can't. Like our big message this week is like, we're going to the high school. We're going to crown, you know, a kid who just likes music. They're recording it in their bedroom. We're going to f- fly them up here, play their song to everyone. Like we're going to change their life, you know, um, which is, yeah, a great balance. And then you meet these people and the, the way people are, are so thankful, whether it's the artists who have their songs played and people like know the words to their songs or whether it's the people who, you know, have to go and do their apprenticeship every morning, but the site radio, let you know, gives them a bit of joy in the mornings whilst they're getting a few calluses on their hands and getting you know, made fun of by the bosses on the site or whatever. It's like, it's this big community of people who have similar interests and are just, yeah, this real, it's a real family uh, almost of like, you're in a club, you're really in a club that doesn't have an ulterior motive. And there's something so powerful about that. It's like, you see people at Splendor in the Grass, you see people, it's like, there's so many different people around in the Triple J audience. It brings people together like the tradies or the, you know, the Fitzroy vegans who listen to alternative music and that sort of thing. It's like, yeah, we can agree on this. This is good. 
Yeah, there's something really inspiring about that, isn't it? Yeah. And I've certainly, I think it was the the major thing in defining for me that, you know, to not judge somebody by the job they do or how they present, that That's people so can connect on levels, yeah. you know, of here's what we agree is a thing that we like. Mm. And like you said, very different people from very different points in the world. And so important, particularly pre-internet, which was, you know, more my time, in yeah. that idea that you could be a kid in Warrnambool or you could be a kid in, you know, Sale. And mm. y- y- if you liked The Cure, I'm just using examples <laughs> from my youth now, but yeah. wasn't a lot of other Cure fans. Yeah. And so you could often feel quite lonely about that. Mm. But, you know, when Triple J came along, suddenly you were like, oh, 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 it turns out they're a really popular band. Yeah. <laughs> There's heaps of people like, all over the yeah. world. Yeah, you do, do and, that embarrassing thing where like, I know this really cool indie yeah. band, not many yeah. people have heard of it. They're called the Beastie Boys. Coldplay. <laughs> <laughs> Again, generational, though, you, you can pick those up. Coldplay, partly my fault because... Um, what did you do, not, not Cold, What did you do? Not Coldplay itself, but Coldplay's association with... Uh, Triple J, partly my fault. Really? I yeah. like Coldplay. So they, when their first album came out that won the Mercury Music Prize. Parachutes. Uh, and I, because Triple J used to, I don't know if in your time it was still happening or not, but used to have music meetings where all the on-airs would get a say in what the music um, was. Had that they kind s- of... They still do that? Yeah. I think they don't invite the... Breakfast guys. The breakfast guys. Yeah, right. Yeah, or the the drive guys. They go, oh, let's do the people who play the music and don't make the, the jokes as, as much because, uh, yeah, that's their job is to be really knowledgeable. And probably, yeah, with good good reason. Yeah. You know. And, like, that's not to say that whenever we heard a song and, like, went and said, hey, I'm loving this song. Can we play it? They're like, absolutely. If you are passionate about something, you can talk like that. It's so much more interesting to talk about than us just giving it. Well, oh, there you go. <laughs> just, <laughs> I'll put the lever and I've, my chair descended upon me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, not to say that, yeah, they're saying don't do that. It's um, a lot better than just giving you a sheet of paper and just going read it out and then go home. No, but yeah. It, yeah, I remember when that album came through, Richard Kingsmill, who was obviously the music guru there at Triple J, he was a very big fan of it, but it was one of those ones that divided the room. Really? Yeah. And yellow. I, I, I didn't like big, yellow when I first, first heard it. Um, but yeah, when it was on Rage and I was watching the video clip, I'm like, oh, that's a bit boring. Yeah. But um, yeah, growing to like that sort of, yeah, like the, their music was something really cool, um, like listening to clocks. <laughs> I w- I where, would, that's where I entered. I would love room. to keep talking to you for like ages because I just have so many more questions, but you know, we're running out of time. Absolutely. Um, and there's a few questions that uh, are kind of questions I ask all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd like to get to those. I know those. Mind. I listened to a bit of uh, Willosophy when I was, I did about seven months travel around the world. So I remember being on the Greyhound bus from Vancouver to... Uh, Seattle listening to Philosophy and Fitzy's episode and that sort of thing. There's some, yeah, really good ones. Okay. Well, I really enjoy because this is the great thing about podcasts and I guess this medium in general is like being open and honest conversation. You're just relating to people. So yeah, it's it's nice. Let's jump in then. Okay. Um, uh, Death. What do you think happens when you die? Um, I reckon, yeah, I, I don't know. I reckon it's done until the foreseeable future. I mean, the chances of us being us, who we are right now, are ridiculous and infinite. You know, the us, we're sitting across from each other chatting right now, that anything could happen. There could be reincarnation, like, or there could be just like, no, there's literally endless consciousnesses. We're not going to run out. There's going to be no repeats. Everything that is, is the is just one. And then they, they go. But I do like that. Um, 
I think it was Ricky Gervais would get interviewed by Colbert or something. And it was like, what happens after you die? And he's, he's like, well, I was fine before I was alive. That wasn't painful. You know, I didn't realize it didn't feel like very long. Didn't feel like an eternity before we were born. So <clears throat> I think we'll, you'll probably just go back to that until the next time, if there is one. Uh, do you have an overarching belief of some kind about the nature of life? You know, do you have a, you know, something yeah. that you subscribe to about the meaning of life? No, I don't. But it's it's interesting, the, you know, the relation. Because, yeah, there is certainly a, a search for that. But um, I find, yeah, I, th I find being nice, you know, then, you know, creates that ripple effect and other people say nice things about and like some like oh that was cool he was happy and those things. I think people prefer to be happy than miserable and so being able to yeah help people out with that I think sort of gets us in a in a good direction yeah I don't think there's a there's an end goal there's a there's a particular meaning to it I think yeah I'm more in the random <laughs> camp I think with uh, with how things came about but um yeah I, but if you think it's random then how do and you know you you think it's random, mm. and by the way, I'm not prosecuting this case. I'm no, asking, it's, I'm it's good to it's good to be able to. Yeah, I think this but is the best way you you come if, on to. Your if this is random, mm. what is it? Do you think that motivates you to want to serve people? Because what I'm hearing from you mm. is that you know, I mean, it has. It's been a passion of yours, clearly, mm. to contribute. Yeah, you know, and not just for selfish reasons, not just the idea of going, what's in this for me, but what can I create? Yeah. Whether it be, you know, a newsletter for the cast of your, you know, your, your high school theatre, mm. or whether it be, you know, a radio show, show, or whether it be, you know, the connection with Triple J, or whether it be what you're doing now, mm. you know, with the, you know, actually going, well, I'm, I, I'll put this on the line. Mm. I'm going to, you know contribute something back to this society. What do you think it is that motivates you to do those things if if we are random? Maybe it is as simple uh, and as complex as, you know, survival of of the species in which is it's the basis, you know, reproduction thing that we have and, you know, all the other animals that are not as as sentient as we describe it, um they've they've got that sort of thrust and that's their motivation for a lot of things. Now that we can have conversations, our question ourselves and those, those sorts of things, it is, <clears throat> it does become to a point where it's like, well, you know, we, we've, we've got that sorted. Is there something else? But as far as threats to doing that goes, you know, you know, disagreements and wars and, um, even, you know, things like I want to help the environment and climate change because, yeah, the earth will keep spinning. The rock will keep going around. Humans might not be on it. So the best way to do that is to communicate to other humans that, look, we've got to fix this problem. Otherwise, survival of the species. And it's not just as simple now as looking for someone with some uh, bright plumage and, um, yeah, getting amongst it. Um, it's, a, it's a broader species look at furthering it. I've just come up with that then. It might not be true, and there could be some big flaws to that particular concept. But um, yeah, that's what I, I'm thinking right at the moment. Uh, I don't know. I don't Does that think, make sense? I'm, I don't, I'm just talking out loud. I don't think there's like anything that makes sense when yeah. we're talking about something that it's like when somebody gets angry about um, how time travel works in a movie. They're like, oh, that's not how time travel works. Yeah. So I'm like, because uh, time yeah. travel doesn't work. We yeah. don't have time travel. Don't get angry about mm. something that we can't actually explain. Why didn't like their explanation of how time travel works? Well, we don't know how time travel works. So yeah. 
They can explain it however they want to explain it. Exactly. So exactly. But that's it's, what it's, I'm asking. So it, um, it, maybe it's as simple as well. That's just because I, that's how I feel. Yes. And questioning it or like trying to, yeah, come up with a, a reason behind it is counterproductive from following it. Uh, do you have a moment in your life that if you had your time again, you would mm-hmm. like over? Yeah. Or are you a person who sort of believes everything that happened, you know, makes me who I am and blah, blah, blah? Um, I do do that, but it's just like, oh man, learning things the easy way is so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So yeah, I, I, I would, I wish I didn't do that. Cause then I could maybe learn that lesson through someone else yeah. doing it later. So I don't, I don't think. Yeah. I think that's an yeah. important lesson to learn, but I could yeah. have learned it in a lot. There's a book. Yeah. Could have read the book. You know, um, so having to go through, you know, humiliation or these kind of things is like, yeah, those kind of lessons you can do without, but the reason not regretting is because like, well, I got something out of it. It's like, it's like getting, you know, buying something not on special, (laughs) you know, I've got the thing I wanted. I paid too much for it, but here we are in the, the same position. Oh, I like that. That's re- that's really good. That's very good. I'd vote for you if I lived in your oh, electorate based on that much. answer alone. Yeah, you're getting a bargain. Uh, can I uh, ask you this one and, and then we'll finish up. But uh, uh, is there a misconception of you that that you think someone has or that people have? Um, not Not really because the great thing about, you know, radio as opposed to, say – like people come up to you because they've heard you on radio and say, and go, Hey, you know, really like what you said there. You're, you're oh, mate, you're a legend. Like love the show, that sort of stuff. That's really nice. And is, I think it's easier for people in radio rather than someone who is, you know, well known being an actor because they're playing parts. It's like, Hey, you're a great actor, but they don't really know you as a person. So the being on radio, you've got to <laughs> be yourself a lot in order to connect with these people. And so the con- perception is reasonable. I think with social media, um, you know, at the risk of smashing a few bubbles, I, I certainly play up to DJing and raving and having a sesh and, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Because it is fun and I do enjoy doing that sort of stuff. And I think, yeah, it's it's good, but I might not, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't, I haven't had this theory tested, but sometimes I think people might think I enjoy doing shoeys more than I enjoy doing shoeys. (laughs) 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 Drinking from a shoe when it smells a bit more, but it's like, it's also fun. It's like tongue in cheek. It's like, I think we're talking about a, um, having a party in, in the ways of like, this is the best night of our lives. You know, I am obviously aware that there are other things and I also enjoy, you know, lying down on the couch and not doing anything. So, um, yeah, that's always fun, but I also, yeah, there is a truth to every um, stereotype. Okay. So let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's plug some stuff. Firstly, let's uh, do the politics. Is there anything that, I mean, obviously people, if they're in the electorate vote for you, that's, I mean, yes, or, right. or don't. Or don't make up your, make own, up mind. your own mind. <laughs> but um, also, if you do, like, I think plug. If you've got an interest in, um, yeah, you know, helping out in various um, in ways you think that Australia would be better, whether it's you know signing up and helping politicians or door knocking for people that you believe in, or whether it's um, just not donkey voting would be really good. Um, not allowing, 
yourself, allowing yourself to be informed enough to see through a couple of the things. Like, because you do have to trust people at face value, I think, until things come out that um, it's proven wrong, you know? So if someone says they're doing a war on jobs, you could go, oh, are they doing a war on jobs? Oh, right. No, that's insane. They're not, they're whatever you probably just from the country or something like that. So yeah, I, th- I think doing that side of things is, um, yeah, good. Taking, taking an interest, but also being nice and doing what you love. I can plug that. Can I? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can. Yeah. And, uh, but well, speaking of being nice and doing things that you love, you're also doing a podcast. Can we plug that? Oh, sure. Yeah. That's called Mirth. Um, myself and another ex triple J presenter, Karen Wheatley have been doing that. That's deep in campaign mode at the moment. So, uh, <laughs> we'll have to, we'll be a bit of top politics chat for a while, but yeah, talking to comedians is always really fun. So I'm sure we'll get back to that. I'll come up with a few other random ideas. Um, plug wise. Yeah. By Matt O'Kine's book. He gave me a good plug for going to politics the you other day. You know what? So I should, I should get, pre-order Matt O'Kine's I actually book. should get Matt on the podcast soon. To he'd talk be good. About he'd, have, he'd have a good chat with you. Yeah, doing radio with him. I've got uh, my own little uh, book in the works, but that's coming out later. So yeah, I'll plug that next time. Is, will there be a chat? <laughs> is it a book about your life or is it a... No, oh, it is. Because I was so going to say, running like... for politics obviously would be an extra <laughs> chapter in that. That would be funny. Like yeah. uh, writing a book about a, an up-and-coming politician. Maybe right. that's another one. Nah, it's about um, a kid who... Um, yeah, uploads a song to the internet and it goes nuts. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's a great idea. You're getting the exclusives All here, right. Will. Well, let's not give away too much. We don't want people stealing your idea. It's totally fine. Uh, and uh, yes, Matt would be great. Um, I, I'll give a plug to a book that isn't out yet just because I just read it. to uh, Corey White, uh, who is mm. a, an Australian comedian, has written a uh, book and I'm going to try to get him on the podcast, but it is the story of his life is uh, you know hor- horrifying. Uh, it's this, mm. some of the things that happened to him growing up in foster care and it's a horrifying story but also he manages to make it completely compelling and hilarious it's one of the best books I've actually ever read in my life I reckon so that will be coming out uh, to be able to do something like take those situations and you know forge forge something from the fire there through humour that's so incredible I'm going to have to you've, your plug's yep. worked on me there, there Will, you go. so I look forward to uh, picking it up we'll get him on at some stage um, Alex this has been an absolute pleasure mate I, like I really could have talked to you for hours this has been been uh, absolutely great. I wish you all the best with what you're doing and I'm, I'm glad that you're doing it and I'm glad there are people like you who are doing it. Oh, thanks very much, Willow. Thanks for getting me on.